Hello and welcome to today's edition of Cattlecast. Today we'll be talking about all things TB with Rebecca Cavill they're from the BCBA board and also from Ellie Brown from DEFRA. So to start off over to you Rebecca. My name is Rebecca Cavill. I am a farm vet in North Devon. I work for Torch Farm and Equine. I have been on the board for five years. This is now my sixth year. Um, for the last few years, I have been the TV lead. When I originally stood for the board, part of my motivation was working in the high risk area um, and being frustrated by TV and the way that we controlled it um, and wanting to get sort of more proactively involved in policy and different policy changes that were made. So hopefully that's something that we as BCBA feel quite strongly about. So it's been five years. How do you think TB's happened in that time period? Um, I think there have actually been some positive changes during that time. Certainly, if you look at the EPI reports, reactor numbers are down in general in the HRA areas. Again, lesions are down a little bit as well. There are different changes. And certainly the recent introduction of six-month testing has perhaps just caused a little bit of an increase in reactor numbers. Perhaps unsurprisingly, the more you look, the more you find. General persistent breakdown herds, especially again in the HRA, are down massively, which is something we've really struggled with. So I I think there's a positive message from the last few years. It's always good to have a positive message and try and have a positive outlook on particularly on the area of TB which is so emotional. You say that within the board what meetings have we been going to or what have been working on within those five years do we think? So we work as a little sort of TV team. So that's myself, um, Sarah Tomlinson, who a lot of people will be familiar with through her T-Bus role, um, Bridget Taylor. So we attend a variety of different meetings. I tend to go to the APHA and DEFRA meeting. So the various policy groups that we sit on, including sort of cattle measure groups. I um, also sit on the Bovine TV Partnership, which meets bi-monthly and is sort of a designed to be a more proactive group of individuals, including vets, farmers, industry scientists, um, who will have different viewpoints on different areas of TV control we also sit on the tv hub group we also sit on checks there's a number of other bits and pieces um, such as the mba who have a tv group um, and some of the nfu uh, tv groups as well we also have bi-monthly meetings with defra and apha for them to update us and us to update them um, and quarterly meetings with nfu and bva to see which areas we can link up on to have a sort of more uh, a stronger voice with three of us coming at things from the same angle no, that's really good. And that's definitely an, enough to keep you busy with those quarterly and bi-monthly meetings. They, they do still soon swallow up some time. So looking forward then to what's coming up, you did mention checks. How's the, the TB arm of checks going? So the TB arm of checks, I think, has caused a little bit of frustration um, over the last few months for everybody. APHA are now in a position that they feel that they can um, proceed with getting checks accreditation uh, back up and running, although obviously the AI outbreak is taking quite a lot of resource. So whether that will, will change again in the coming months, we'll see. Um, so it's back with the checks board to just sort of finish tidying up a few loose ends, uh, certainly speaking to the labs and things about how to progress some issues that have been raised as we've gone along. So hopefully going forwards, that will be something that we can we can interact with a little bit more. And what else do you think is coming? Looking forward to the new year in 2023, what do you think we have to look forward to then? So we're into the next phase of trials for cattle vaccination. So cattle vaccination and badger vaccination are two of the sort of hot topics at the moment as to how we move those policy areas forwards, how they might work and and how they might help, what sort of evidence base might be behind them. So those are likely the the sort of key areas. There's also consultations and calls of use coming into the spring of next year, which will likely cover some of those, some of the issues raised with cattle and badger vaccination. So 
So I'm sure that's something of BCA we will definitely get involved with and hope that some of our members and listeners join in and get involved in those consultations too. One of the other things you sort of hear the rumours around is the area of the epi-lead culling. I wondered if you could tell us um, a bit about that and where as BCBA we sort of sit. So um, we have got a BCBA TB policy, which is available um, hidden somewhere on the website, which hopefully gives an idea for members of the the different uh, ways that we perhaps like to change or influence policy going forwards. Wildlife control is something that's really, really important when it comes to TB control in general. And is something that we sort of constantly challenge government on. Epi-lead culling is something that's on the table as the different cull zones come towards an end. There's not an awful lot known at the moment as to quite how and where that fits in with the rest of the wildlife control projects. But it is something that we will be pushing for, um, you know, certainly discussing the different bits and pieces need to be met to, to sort of do that, whether that's sort of surveillance uh, on cattle numbers in those areas, whether that's looking at lesions from badgers in those areas or, or any of those sorts of things. So I guess that leads us nicely on to today's podcast topic, which is all about badger vaccination. So I'd now like to go over to Ellie and for you to introduce yourself. Hi, Kat. Thanks for inviting me to this podcast. I'm Ellie Brown. I'm the what's called the Deputy Director for Bovine TB Programme, and that's the head of the policy team in DEFRA. So I head up the TB policy team in, in DEFRA. I'm a vet by background. I was a veterinary advisor to TB for, gosh, about 10 years before um, taking up the head of policy role. So it's been quite a long time focusing on TB then? Yes, uh, it's it's my uh, specialist subject in a way. I feel (laughs) to enjoy it. Good. And with that, you know, length of time, hopefully you've seen some changes. So where do you think we are with TB at the moment? The government launched a strategy in 2014, the TB eradication strategy for England, with a target of being officially TB-free by 2038. And actually, since that time, we are starting to see sustained reductions in TB levels in high-risk areas. So we now have a downward trend in that area for TB levels, which is really great news. Things have been getting worse slowly in the edge area, but I think we're now starting to see a plateauing in the edge area as well. So things are overall stabilising. It is a a bit of a mixed picture, the edge area. So there'll be pockets where things are getting better and and still places where there is spread. So that's an ongoing concern for me of what we do differently still in the edge. And then the low risk area, so the east of the country up in the north, it remains low and stable, which is fantastic. So very similar epidemiology to, say, Scotland, which is OTF, officially TB free. And the cases we see in the low risk area usually bought in animals from the high risk area and we identify those and then we can stamp it out very quickly. So we are seeing improvements in disease in you know the traditionally worst areas of the southwest west but of course still a long way to go before we're sort of near that OTF um, category so certainly you know need to maintain momentum on all the things that we're doing. No, that sounds really optimistic, I guess, is that the practicing that we get so bogged down in just each week what we're doing or, you know, the few repeat cases that come around every 60 days and you remember those. But of course, you don't always remember the clear test that then you don't go back to for a year. So six months that's now. That's it. And we're seeing now. So not only sort of reductions in our headline indicators sort of prevalence incidents, but also we see a lot fewer cases picked up at the slaughterhouse than we when it did you know even a a few years ago and we're seeing fewer pre-movement tests being positive so all of these 
indicators, if you like, so really showing that yeah, um, the disease burden in cattle in those higher risk areas is, is starting to come down, which is really fantastic. Uh, thanks to the vets out on the ground doing the testing and, you know, I know doing a lot of work to sort of look at quality of testing and, you know, frequency. So thanks for that. I think it's really showing through now in outcome in terms of disease levels. That's really good. There's nothing worse than on a pre-movement test finding uh, reactors, because then I think the farmer's already got in his head that he's going to sell them or he's already agreed a price. And then it's always yeah. the worst situation for the farmer and the vet. So the least, yeah. the, the lower those get, the better everyone will feel. Um, so I think one of the areas we really wanted to focus on today was the idea of the BCG vaccine and how that can be used in badgers. So I wondered if you could just give us a bit of a background on that vaccine. So BCG, of course, is one of the oldest vaccines in the world, really. I mean, it's been used in people for, you know, over 100 years for um, TB, human TB control. So we've got a very good understanding of its sort of safety records in people and how it's worked in the body. Nearly all species and badgers included, but we see this in the studies we have in cattle as well. We see a, what we call a spectrum of protection. So some animals will be completely protected by using BCG against TB. Some will be partially and then some will have no response to it and, and won't be protected. I think we see this because it's a bacterial vaccine it's quite a, it's quite hard to make good vaccines against bacterial diseases i mean le lepto vaccines for instance i think you see a spectrum as well so you know unlike the sort of viral uh, vaccines bacterial ones are more challenging to make um, very effective but we do know it has an effect and actually we have evidence of that in badgers and we're getting that evidence of course in, in cattle for our cattle vaccine studies as well uh, that, that's really interesting. Um, I guess we forget and we think this is a totally different subject, but already the ideas of vaccination applies to a lot of what we as vets know and a lot of what we're discussing with farmers all the time. Um, yes. And that idea of herd effect and, you know, how the immune system of the animal at the time of the vaccination is important, I guess, would apply to any animal. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it is a vaccine. It's sparking the host immune system in the same way that, that others are. So, you know, there's lots of, you know, similarities, I guess, to all the other vaccines that um, vets will be using. I, I guess the difference here would be that, you know, one of the key things we want when we're vaccinating, say, badgers is we're trying to do it at scale. So we want to use it to reduce disease transmission and therefore sort of disease levels where of course often on a I mean you might do that on a farm level with a, a cattle vaccine but you won't be looking at it at a sort of national level per se so that would be the sort of key difference of trying to build scale of some of these um, use of these vaccines particularly in badgers I mean it might be worth just sort of picking up on badger BCG itself so so that is a licensed vaccine now it's licensed back in 2010 so it's been available for a few years it has a limited marketing authorization, what's called, and I'll, I'll come back to why that is in a, a moment. You know, we had to go through all the same hoops as you would for any other um, veterinary medicine, veterinary immunological. So we've got lab studies on what it does in the badger in terms of protective effect. And then we had to get safety data in the field of, you know, just making sure that it's safe when you vaccinate animals. And you, you do that in, through field studies. The one piece of data we don't have is how long immunity lasts in a badger. So we don't have a duration of immunity study, and that's why it has a limited marketing authorization. I think that's quite useful, actually, for 
vets to understand because often farmers think oh it's only a limited because we don't know how good it is now we know how good it is we just don't know how long that lasts but of course there's quite a relatively quick turnaround of badger populations uh, interestingly badgers need quite a high dose of bcg it's 10 times human dose so they have to have a whole vial of bcg whereas Humans, babies, we use it in, in England, in high-risk cities, we just have 0.1 mil. So it's, it does make it expensive. And that's something we're really conscious of in the policy team of actually how do we make it cheaper to deliver? Can we look to subsidies, for instance, on the actual vial of the vaccine itself? Yeah, that is interesting. I guess as vets, you, you'd think just a dose per animal is the same, but actually having that varying amounts per different species isn't something I'd ever thought about. So that's quite no, interesting. And it, it's not linked by size either. So cattle is a different dose again. Yes, it's, it is interesting that badgers need such a high dose of it. It's a lab study. So these quite artificial challenge studies where we give them a very high dose of TB to sort of force infection, if you like. And then we look at the degree of lesions, what's called a lesion score. So the animals are affected with TB and then we look at a lesion score. And what we see in the lab studies with BCG is those vaccinated have you know, significantly less or fewer lesions, so a lower lesion score than unvaccinated. So that's the data we have from the labs. But we did actually get field data as well when we did our safety studies in the field. And we also found that vaccinated animals were less likely to be test positive, so antibody test positive. So again, indicating that, you know, there's a um, slower or lower disease progression in vaccinated badgers. And we've seen that in the UK, in England. Um, I think they've seen similar in Ireland, where they've also increased use of badger vaccination for TB. Yeah, it is quite interesting, isn't it, the whole um, how the set and the, the whole hierarchy of the badgers work. And I guess then how they pass it through in different ways to generations and cubs and different areas like that. Yeah, we've got some evidence on that. So where you vaccinate um, a social group, a badger, you know, a social group that live in one set, with a certain uptake of vaccine in the adults, we did then start to see that the cubs were protected. So when they came out, when they were old enough to come out the set and we could trap them and test them, they were less likely to be infected with TB than sets that weren't vaccinated. So it does indicate that herd immunity effects. So you know, vaccinating the adults in the group did appear to be protecting the unvaccinated cubs. And that's encouraging because, you know, I go back to talk about, you know, using badger BCG at a national level. We want to have a herd immunity effect. What we want is to vaccinate the badgers and to that reduce transmission, of course, to the cattle. So, you know, that's what ultimately what we're interested in. That's probably the key bit of data we don't have. So we don't know at the moment. We haven't been able to measure an effect of vaccinating badgers and affecting cattle. And that's mostly because we just haven't done it at a big enough scale. So we need to use badger vaccination at scale for a good number of years to start to see that effect in cattle. And that's really, you know, what BCVA members have been telling us, all the officials, BVA officials, the NFU and others that sit on our TB partnership group. This is our sort of key stakeholder group. We've been focusing over the last few months on badger vaccination and the evidence and what evidence we should get. And that evidence gap in cattle, the effect in cattle is really crucial for us to try and fill because we know that that's a bit of a blocker 
to uptake. You know, we know we have evidence on the effect of culling badges on cattle, but we don't have a similar evidence in the effect in cattle on, from badger vaccination. I guess it's the typical chicken and egg situation in that you can't get the yes. evidence until you've done it, but equally you need to have done it to get the evidence. So, yes. Yeah, when culling first started, we were in a similar position. Um, so we have been through it, but the, the common sense is all there and it's it's interesting to see that cub effect within the, the sets. So hopefully that, that's a really positive thing that it's working within their social groups. So when they accidentally come across the cows, then it can spread into those groups as well. So you said, have you got any other sort of projects ongoing you wanted to say about? You know, this is the final year of in, intensive calls or, or new intensive calls. So the coal policy is going to start winding down and government is looking to increase badger vaccination and really push that non-lethal control as a primary form of TB control in, in the wildlife. We're trying to lead a number of projects to build badger vaccination capacity, so our ability to deliver across England. As I said, we need it to be taken up, you know, large scale for it to really have that sort of national effect. And, and to date, it's been quite low and patchy. Badger culling being far the um, method of choice for farmer groups, you know, the cull- uh, vaccination has been a lot more small scale and patchy. We've got a few projects ongoing. There's a large deployment project now in East Sussex being led by a sort of a veterinary group in that area, which is sort of farmer-led, if you like, or farmer-engaged. It's using local people in the farming community. They um, are some shepherdesses, I think they're, you know, gamekeepers and others to go out and do the sort of field skills of setting traps to catch badgers and then vaccinate them. So they did their first round of vaccination last year and they'll be going into their next round now. And that's actually a really great project. It's got good buy-in from the local community in that area. We're also uh, trying to increase vaccination in post-cull areas. So as areas now start coming off their cull cycle, as we wind down from the previous policy, we're looking at how do we support vaccination in those areas. And we've got a number of people in AFA, APHA, who are trained in badger vaccination are going into these areas to um, start deploying it in in post-cull areas as well. So that, I hope, will start building confidence in our ability to go into areas that have a lower badger population and trap those animals for vaccination. I guess it would follow on from the culls being the, the farmer groups have set themselves up and they have trained in their trapping and those sections. I guess it is the logical next step if culling is ending that actually we use those existing farmer groups and those existing farmer skills to just change the, the end effect, as it were. And some of it is that. So certainly, you know, it's that sort of local farmer-led approach in, in Sussex, although that, that wasn't a cull area. But it is building confidence in vaccination in those post-cull areas that it can have an effect. So at the moment, it is more government delivered, but we would really like to get to a place where, like you say, we can build on the structures and the people already out, you know, on the land to also help use them for um, for some of this work we think of it a bit like um, my, my team talk about it like as a you know it's like driving a car whilst building it so we're trying to build this new policy of badger vaccination whilst still delivering it finishing the current calls because we don't really want a hiatus so we're trying to go out try it learn by doing and then adapt it's quite a tricky 
way to deliver policy, actually, because we get a lot of questions back saying, well, you know, what will it cost me in five years time? Or how will it look in, you know, if I do it myself? And the honest answer is I don't know all the answers because we're kind of trying it, trying to learn new ways of doing it, trying to make badger vaccination perhaps simpler and then learn by doing. So some of the other things the policy team have been really working hard on is changing the licensing approach. So we now have a, a different licensing approach. It's an online system. It takes a lot less time to apply for a license. We're looking at the training um, uh, and whether we can streamline that, make that easier and more accessible. We're piloting an app, actually, um, that was developed by the World Veterinary Service for rabies vaccine. It's a spatial app where uh, if you're vaccinated badgers, it's got a GPS. It tells you where your set is. So you just sort of say, I've set you know, three traps i've caught one badger and i've vaccinated it and put your batch number in the time it automatically does the time and location and everything for you so we can almost get real-time data now of of course activity in the field through that sort of approach and i mean i it, it sounds like a small thing but i'm really excited about that i think that could be really useful of understanding you know coverage and you know enable us to sort of map deployment a lot easier than perhaps previously we did no, I think it's very um, honest about the whole learning as you go and learning to adapt. I think it's quite easy to sit and say, well, we're not going to do anything until we know everything. But by then, yes. you know, the disease could have taken off again. So actually, exactly. unfortunately, we're in the position that we're in and we've got to make the best of it. But I agree, the app and using technology in, in different ways is the way forward. Yes. I think, yeah, I would be quite excited about that. That sounds quite interesting. So lastly, then, I guess, why are you here talking to us today? What can we as the practising kettle vets um, around the country do? It comes down to vets being a trusted advisor. We know that, um, you know, your farmers listen to you. I'm sure usually, maybe not always, but on the most part, they listen to vets and they trust, you know, the advice um, that vets give. BCG vaccines are a veterinary medicine. And vets understand about vaccines, you know, about, you know, their pros and cons, how they work, you know, the importance of, you know, cold chain, if that's appropriate, and all these sort of other aspects around making sure they're effective. I talked about that herd immunity that I think will be useful, if not critical in, in this sphere, that, you know, we want to vaccinate and lower infection levels in badgers, and then that will have a knock on effect in cattle in that other group that hasn't been vaccinated so that herd immunity effect is is quite a sort of technical concept really although of course post-covid everyone knows about r naught and herd immunity in some ways that's helpful here but that's you know what we're trying to achieve trying to build that lower disease pressure that herd immunity effect so I think, you know, the, the vets are crucial across everything really in, in TB that do. And not least, you know, this advising farmers and infectious disease control. TB is, is an infectious disease and, you know, we should be thinking of it as such in terms of trying to stop, you know, infection onto farm and then infection off farm and how to control these different um, risk pathways and sources of infection. And, and Badger BCG is one tool out of all the others that we have in our toolbox, which is pretty extensive, I think, to help reduce risk, both on for an individual farm, but as I say, at that bigger level, hopefully building, uh, maintaining the benefits that we've had from the current coals, you know, maintaining that momentum in disease control that I, I talked about at the beginning. So I think, you know, the vet's understanding of vaccines and, and therefore um, badger vaccines really helpful. I guess also I should say there's a, big veterinary role in badger vaccine than perhaps 
more so than culling because it's a veterinary medicine. Vets have to prescribe it and vets um, have to sort of not oversee sort of physically present, but there is a role for vets in the delivery of it. So they do have to be on call as backup in case, you know, a lay vaccinator runs into any issues delivering it on the off chance of any sort of reaction to the trapped animal or um, anaphylactic reaction, etc. So there is a veterinary role throughout the Badger vaccine process, as well as, you know, that sort of bigger picture understanding of, you know, what we're doing and, and how vaccines work. Yeah, and I guess as more farmers come across the idea of badger vaccine, whether it's a post-cholaria um, or a different project starting up, I would hope that one of the people they would come and talk to would be the vet. So I think yes. we, we might be getting a few more questions and we can go, oh, we don't know anything about badger BCG, but actually we can apply most of our understanding of vaccines to this. And hopefully yeah. if people listen to this podcast, then they'll, they'll get a few more hints and tips yeah. about of the background of it. Yeah, that would be great. And, you know, we use our TB Hub website a lot for this sort of stuff. So actually, if anyone's interested, you know, go on there. There's quite a lot about TB and wildlife. There's links to fact sheets on badger vaccination. And there's links to a sort of PowerPoint, a slide deck on the evidence base that we have. So that sort of thought process, that logic step of, you know, vaccinating badgers to reduce transmission and therefore sort of have a knock-on benefit protection in cattle. From my mind, as a, as a vet, that's a very sensible, logical step, because if you're reducing disease in one population, there will be less transmission into cattle, and by nature, that will have a beneficial effect in, in cattle. You know, if badgers are a part of the problem, preventing disease in badgers will have that knock-on positive effect. But as I say, one of our key things that we do want to see if we can get is that evidence to help look for that effect in cattle, but to do that we really need to, you mentioned the chicken and egg, we really need to roll it out, get people, get farmers giving it a go, you know, let's, let's give it a go, let's try it, let's get the evidence we need to see whether it's having an effect and, and how it builds as part of our, um, our whole TB strategy. I think it's quite easy to get worn down, you know, you can be doing a big TB test, early morning starts, and you find reactors and you just sort of go into a bit of a negative spiral, whereas this is Unfortunately, you know, culling will end as, you know, a lot of farmers and some vets might be angry about that situation and cross about it, thinking it is doing a good job. But actually, this is an option. And to try and empower farmers and us and clients to all try it as an option, really, and just get behind it and give it a go, as you said. Yeah. You know, it's only one part, Lou, back again, says one part of everything we do. You know, farmers will want to be thinking about where they're buying animals from, who's their neighbours, can they double fence if they've got particularly risky neighbours of a concern. We've got changes to a tool called IBTB, which is an online mapping tool. You can look up any farm in the country. It will tell you not only their current TB status, but their past status as well. So when they last had to break down. So your clients, individual farmers will be able to now know what the risk is of the farms around them. So there's a lots of practical steps, I think, that individual farmers can take with their vet, you know, making a herd health plan. It's not rocket science. It's, you know, it is about where do you buy your animals? When was that herd last TB tested? When did it last have a breakdown? Where is it from? You know, what's around them? Raising troughs changing how you you know the water troughs your feeding approach making sure wildlife can't get in feed stores it's probably not even just beneficial for tb but you know for other diseases as well so there's a lot i think actually that is within our gift farmers and vets to kind of reduce their risk 
another big thing we talk about is contingency planning you know the what if you know what if worst case scenario do have a breakdown you know where will you sell your calves to how will you manage your stock if that happens so just having that thought about what can we do now that's relatively easy but could have an impact what do we just need to have a back of our mind just in case the worst happens and how will you cope during that and just those steps I think are a really helpful conversation for vets to have with their farmers. Yeah, and definitely doing it not at the end of a TB test when you found reactors, yes. when everyone is really emotional, everyone yes. is really tired. Having it as a separate planned visit, you know, nothing yeah. to do with the test. It can be months ahead to say, well, if this happened, we could do that. We could do this. Well, I noticed, you know, you're feeding from this or your troughs are like this. So, yeah, there is plenty we can do. It's just engaging with our clients and having those, those conversations. Thank you, Ellie. That was really insightful and useful information to know some of the facts and figures behind Badger vaccination and where it might fit in the future of TB control as a country as a whole. As ever, if there are any other topics that you think we should cover here on Cattlecast or any other areas of interest, please let us know. 